Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Let's turn in our Bibles today to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 21. We're looking at this letter by the Apostle Peter. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, man, you want to know what Peter thought about things. And we have a great opportunity today. The Apostle Peter here talks and touches the subject, the theology of suffering. Did you know there's a theology for suffering? We're going to look at that today. Because a lot of us feel as though suffering is just some random negative thing that happened to us, and yet God wants us to understand that there is something great that he works in us. I'm going to jump a little bit of ahead before I even read this so that I can get past anybody's objections. I'm so rejoicing in the fact that we have a theology about healing, that Jesus healed all that were sick. Amen to that. I'm glad that we have a theology about the provision of the Lord. I believe in God's provision. The provision of the Lord shall be seen. We have a theology about salvation and how you can know without a doubt that you're right with God. But you want to know something? Some people have no theology about suffering. And we feel as though to have any kind of theology about suffering, it contradicts the theology about the blessing of the Lord. And I want us to know today it does not. I want us to understand today that anything that gets past the protection of God in our lives, God had to allow it. No matter where you land in your theology, God had to allow that thing. Nothing gets to you or me without his permission. So what I want us to do today is to look at the purpose of suffering, why it happens in our lives. Now, I just want you to know today that when I talk about this, I don't know what just happened to my voice. A minor suffering. Um, That when I talk about this, that some of you have gone through suffering that I haven't experienced. I know that suffering is very real for people. And I know that a lot of people have just said, it doesn't make sense, the season in my life, if there is a God and a God who loved me, why? Why did I get born in that home? Why did I end up in that relationship? Listen, uh, there can be great suffering that comes out of a relationship. There could be the suffering of a diagnosis. There can be a suffering of a season of poverty. And if we don't know God's purpose and what he's doing on the earth today, we can get really stuck. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to grow. And you can get stuck in your development, and that's what I want us to look at today. So as we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it's so interesting to me. I mean, just completely fascinating. He addresses the pursuit of every person. He says this, For you have been called for this purpose. Wow, that should grab our attention. You've been called for this purpose. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. Wow. Verse 22, he who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting, him, uh, or kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Holy Spirit, I welcome you here in this room, and I welcome you to direct the words that I speak. I pray that you would give to us the proper humility to be able to receive the instruction of the Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd have your way in our hearts and in our lives today. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you've been called for this purpose. 
When I think about the pursuit of purpose, I think that actually sometimes I've witnessed it being stronger within the church than even outside the church. When you are aware of the fact that you were created by God, it immediately causes you to ask the question, what's my purpose? Because obviously I was made for a reason. I think that the pursuit of purpose and significance, to be significant, is the desire of all those who believe in God. Now, I want to say this. That can be a very healthy pursuit, but even as a believer, it can be a very unhealthy pursuit. When I look up at the word purpose, it says this in the dictionary, to discover the reason for which I was created and for which I exist. If I am then there must be a purpose to it. Another thing that we find out in the pursuit of significance, because it ties with purpose, is that the dictionary says it's a desire to be worthy of attention. Now, we all know about people who are always trying to get attention, and that can look really ugly, but I want to say this, is that every one of us should just say, if I get attention, I pray that I'm worthy of it. And during different seasons of life, isn't it true, there are times when we get more attention and there are times when we get less. There are some times when we feel worthy of attention. There are times that we don't feel worthy of attention. And so in all of that, let's just talk about the idea of like your your and my pursuit to be significant. If I'm going to live this life, I want it to be significant. And the Bible says this, the purpose, your significance is rooted in how you suffer. Now, isn't that amazing? The Apostle Paul was finding himself getting into all kinds of persecution, and he said to the people in the church, with great tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. Great tribulations, not not minor tribulations, not minor struggles, but with great tribulations, and we have to understand that God is working a purpose in our life even when it looks as though some blessings have been removed from our life and finally we find it, or we suddenly find ourselves suffering. And all of this is rooted in the question, this is the question that we ask whenever we suffer. We ask why. We always ask why. Now, I want to tell you there is a healthy why and there's an unhealthy why. If we're going through suffering and we're asking, God, why did you let that happen? But our mindset is this. Why is it happening again? Why would a loving God allow this to happen to me? Why, if you really care and why, if you're really powerful, is this thing happening in my life? And the why is rooted in alienation, rejection, an unhealthy view of ourselves. Now that's an unhealthy why, but I want you to know that there is a healthy why. And that healthy why is this. Lord God, I know that you love me. Lord, I know that you have a purpose for my life. Lord, I know that you have called me to significance. And as you in your infinite wisdom are allowing me to go through this suffering, teach me the why. Because I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like him in the way he responded in a world where there is suffering. You cannot live in this world and not suffer. That's just the reality of it. And I love what C.S. Lewis said. For those who are going to heaven, this life will be the closest thing to hell they will ever experience. And for those that are going to hell, this life will be the closest thing to heaven they're ever going to experience. If you live on this earth, it's a mixture of heaven and hell, isn't it? And of course it is, because God said, that's your choice. I'm the God of heaven. Satan is the father of hell. Choose this day whom you're going to serve, right? And so we're in this amazing mix. I love the fact that the Apostle Paul says this, Oh, that I would know him and the power of his resurrection. Man, people pray that all the time. And they forget the second part of the phrase, and the fellowship of his suffering. Actually, if you look at the word and there, it actually is better translated even. 
Oh, that I would know him in the power of the resurrection, even the fellowship of his suffering. He is saying this, the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of the suffering are, are um, indivisible. It's a package deal. In the pursuit of knowing God, it comes with the beautiful release of the power of God, but the power of God cannot be released without the willingness to walk the path of suffering that Jesus walked. There's a price to pay for the power of the resurrection. It's just an amazingly beautiful picture of us being called to a purpose. And I love the fact that behind every time I suffer, God is working some amazing good. And I can know without a doubt that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And what did Peter say the purpose was? To enter into his suffering. But to suffer the way Jesus did. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the Apostle Paul in a moment of just saying, when I think about the, the release of power of God in my life and the revelation that God has given to me, it caused me to pray in a certain way. You would think that the Apostle Paul had entered into a certain revelation of God's power in his life that he would never have to suffer again. And yet it was completely different. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he said, because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. I want you to know some seasons of suffering are actually rise to the level of being labeled as tormenting. You could add a tormented childhood, a tormented marriage, or tormenting job, a tormenting struggle and sin in your life, a real torment. And it causes people to ask a negative why about God. Are you not sufficient? Are you not powerful? Are you not loving? Are you not able? And he says, but God gave to me a thorn in my flesh. And we read that in the book of Acts. Everywhere the apostle Paul went, a messenger of Satan, he said, beat me up. He buffeted me. Everywhere the apostle Paul went, there was an assignment allowed by God that every town he went into, no matter, it says that his shadow would fall on people and they'd get healed and what was the response of the town? Oh, let's stone them. Let's throw them to wild animals. Let's throw them in prison. A messenger of Satan. God doesn't beat you up. But God allows. And that's the struggle we have. I know that God would never put a thorn in Paul's flesh, but he allowed the devil to do it. Some of your suffering has happened in your life because the devil came after you. Evil saw you as an assignment. Evil wanted to take you down, and yet the author and the finisher of your faith, who said you will not be tempted, uh, tempted above what you are able is the one who allowed it to happen. Yes, it was diabolical. I know that the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights, and there's no shadow, there's no shade in anything that he does. Everything that he does is absolutely good. So God did not bring the suffering, but God does allow it. And he says this, there was a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Yes. There's something about our nature that wants to be selfishly driven, to be self-made, mm -hmm. to find purpose and significance outside of God. Right. Even in ministry. What did you accomplish? See, it's got to be rooted in that place of humility, 
so that we don't exalt ourselves. Concerning this, he said, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. The Lord told the apostle Paul, he said, Paul, there's going to be an area in your life so that you don't forget me, so that you stay humble, so that not that you will walk in defeat, but that you will walk in dependency. You aren't called to suffer to be defeated. You are called to suffer to be dependent upon God so that through him and in him you gain the victory. It's so good. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for, for you for power. Power is perfected in weakness. The believer understands this, that when I am weak and I depend upon God, it releases the power of God through me, a power that carries all the strength of heaven behind it. It carries the angels. It carries the provision. It carries the wisdom of God. It goes so far beyond me. He said this. This is amazing. Most gladly, gladly. Why? How can a man in the middle of suffering and gets beat up in every town he goes to be glad? He says this. I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weaknesses. I'm so happy that this thorn in the flesh beats me up because it's shown me my weakness and how much I need God. That's a man who understands and has a theology of the purpose of suffering. This is a great opportunity for me to be like Jesus. How many times did we not face a season of suffering by saying, what a chance to demonstrate Jesus? Therefore, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, he says it's all for Christ. And I want to point that out right now because some of the suffering we say, well, it wasn't for Christ. Just a really lousy situation. But we understand this. Any even insignificant suffering that you feel as though is not connected to God's working inside of you, you can turn it into purpose by saying in this moment, I will be like Jesus. And even though it's just an earthly suffering that everybody else goes through, it's not random. No, it's divine in your life because you have decided in this opportunity, I will turn something random into God's plan for me that I am called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. It changes my why. Yes. It's not a destructive why, but why, Lord, did that happen? Teach me so that I can grow. If I look at what Peter's saying here about the purpose of suffering, I have to put it in the context of the chapter. And he said this, servants, slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are harsh. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person endures grief when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But let me read that again. I think I, I put my negative in there. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person endures grief when suffering unjustly. In other words, the Lord is saying this. If something unjust has happened to you, if you in your conscience, what you are conscious of in that moment will determine whether the favor of God is released in your life or not. When you suffer, are you conscious of God? Are you conscious of your purpose in your life? Because if you walk through it with the consciousness of God, he says the favor will come. What credit is there if when you 
sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. I, now, now let's put this in the context of the big picture of 1 Peter. The big picture is these people had suffered. They lost their homes. Some of them have been killed. They've been chased out of Jerusalem. They've been scattered. They've lost their livelihoods. They've lost everything. So you think that Peter would build his argument about suffering well on all the negative things that had happened to them. And yet, what did he choose? He chose this example. What about when your boss just isn't the person he should be? See... I love that because it's easy to identify persecution of losing your home because you believe in Jesus. And you can say, oh, I see the purpose in that kind of suffering. But what if it's just the suffering of what some human being has done to you merely because they've targeted you? Is God in that? And the Lord says in that passage, for the sake of your conscience towards God. In other words, when you are suffering, even in a random event, are you conscientious about how you walk through that process so that it's not a waste of your time, a waste of your resources, a waste of your peace and joy, but actually you embrace it in such a way that when you endure that grief, when you suffer unjustly, not just persecuted, but anytime you suffer, if you do it conscientiously, you will receive the favor of the Lord. I love that. How we go through suffering is an opportunity either to release favor or to remain stuck in old patterns of behavior that cause the same seasons of suffering that happen over and over and over and over to us. That's why we see the cycle in people's relationships of getting into one bad relationship after another, after another, after another, because they weren't conscious of God's purpose and who God wanted them to be. And then they step into the same scenario and then they ask themselves this question, why does this happen over to, to me over and over again? And then when they feel that way, they ask a bitter why of God. There's bitterness in the root of it. So I want us to understand this, that ultimately the role, the, the, the purpose of God when you suffer, ultimately is it's never suffering for suffering's sake. It's not like the people in church history who would whip themselves on the back and just say, let me suffer like Jesus suffered. That's not suffering for Jesus' sake. That's suffering for nobody's sake. That's just plain suffering. But the Lord just says, no, suffer to press through to being like Jesus, to discover the release of the favor of God in your life. All suffering is meant to result in favor. That's the heart of God for you and me. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For you have been called for this purpose because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The Lord says, when you suffer, do what Jesus would do. Follow in his steps. How would Jesus treat my spouse right now? How would Jesus treat my boss right now? How would Jesus treat my child right now? Jesus, let every word, let every thought, let everything I mull over, let every attitude be conformed to you. The scripture says, let every word out of my mouth and every meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. We have to ask ourselves these kind of whys when we are trying to pursue what is this season that's going on in my life. Ask ourselves this question. How is fear and unbelief and insecurity going to act right now? And am I acting out of fear unbelief and insecurity. Or ask yourself this question, what is faith and joy and peace going to look like as I walk through this situation? That's a good understanding of the why of suffering. And then I love that the Apostle Peter, who knew Jesus 
personally and walked with him, gave us a list of behaviors when we're going through suffering. He said this, Christ is our example, first off, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So let's look at the first thing. When Jesus was going through suffering, what does it say? Here's the first thing. He didn't sin. That's the overarching description of his behavior in the middle of suffering. Don't sin. Don't do anything wrong that you know that the Bible says, don't do it. Don't neglect to do the things that the Bible tells you to do and decide, well, maybe it won't have any consequence. It will set you on a course that will either allow the cycle of brokenness or will release the favor of God in wholeness. So don't sin. Well, what, the Bible says this, be angry and don't sin. So there's situations, man. If, you know, if you let yourself just get beat up all life long, you're not being biblical. The Bible says you should hate injustice, even if it comes against you. But in the middle of all of that, the Bible just says don't sin. So be careful about your anger levels when you're suffering. Let's ask ourselves a question. When I suffer, do I take it out on everybody? When mom's happy... Everybody's happy, but dad's as well. But what about when we're not happy? The Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. The Bible also says this, anything that's not of faith is sin. So anytime we do something out of, uh, out of unbelief, like, like we're orphans, like we're out there on our own, it's doggy dog and every man for himself, that mindset is unbelief. It's doubt and it's fear. And the Lord says, don't sin when you're going through suffering. Then the second thing it says about Jesus, he said, there's no deceit in his mouth. Now that's an amazing thing right there because we live in a world where just lying is rampant. And I'm gonna tell you this too, lying is rampant in the church. It is, just flat out lying. I'm sorry, but the Bible knew what it was talking about when it said, let God be true and every man a liar. Because the truth is every man is a liar. Why are we all liars? Because all of us speak only from what we know, from what we understand. There is no such thing at the end of the day as a reliable source. The Word of God is the only reliable source. Other than that, if it's not in the Scriptures, it's subject to examination. The Bible says when you talk through your suffering, are you speaking the favor of the Lord and the goodness of God or is it unhealthy wise and unhealthy conversations about other people? Do we share things about someone that we really don't know what they're going through, what they're struggling with, or what God has asked them to do? To speak in such a way is to speak deceitfully. My word, it's hard enough to keep up with myself, let alone thinking that I can tell all of you how to live. And to suggest as though we have the opportunity to be arbiters of deciding the decisions that you've made is really to allow us to speak out of the deception of thinking that we are positioned to judge well. And Jesus said, judge not. Is everything that we speak accurate? Never. It's a perspective and a point of view. Do we exaggerate? All the time. <laughs> Do we leave things out of the conversation? <laughs> or when we share what they said, and then what we said, did we actually say it the way we said it when we said it? Did it have the same tone and nuance? Of course not. 
That's why only God is true and every man a liar. Make sure we don't give one side of a story. There's always another side. It says concerning Jesus, there was no deceit in his mouth. How did Jesus live so that there was no deceit? We're going to see it in a minute. He just didn't talk. (laughs) The less I talk, the less I sin. It says, even though he was abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. Words hurt like nothing else. There is no sword as sharp or knife as cutting as words. And the person who said, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What planet did they come from? The power of the insult You're more effective in damaging someone's destiny by insulting them than I believe by killing them. It's the continual power of words that lead people to feel isolated, alienated, angry. It fills them with anxiety. Actually, words cause tremendous anxiety in people. And ultimately, all these things will accumulate to a depression, a disabling. And it's not just the big put down. Because I can handle the big put down. I can say, well, they must have had a bad moment. But it's actually the little ones, isn't it? The little pecks, one after another after another. We don't have stories of eagles bringing eagles down, but we do have stories of little birds just flying and tapping an eagle on his head. Just keeps doing it until he grounds the eagle. We have to be careful. And if we really believe that words hurt, then why would we hurt someone else with it? And you say, because they hurt me. But that's not how the believer lives. We are told to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. So we should not be insulting back. We don't fight fire with fire. We don't fight evil with fire. We fight evil with good. A little bit later on in this book, this is what Peter said. You don't return evil for evil or an insult for an insult. That's a big don't. But give a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you would inherit a blessing. Did you see what he said there? When you have been insulted, if you insult it in return, you lose the blessing. But if when you are insulted and you give a spoken blessing to that person, you release the blessing of God into your life. Christians, I think because we have the Bible, think we're so well informed we can make judgments on everybody's lifestyle And the bottom line is this. The Bible just says, even if you see someone's lifestyle is out of line in this world, you are a believer. Believers always bless. Unbelievers curse each other. Oh, I can't bless that person. If I bless that, I'm going to bless them on the wrong path. No, just bless them and allow God to get them on the right path path, and you receive the blessing of the Lord. Bless and curse not when you're going through a season of suffering. So it says a reminder that we would inherit the blessing. I think that what we have to understand is that the Lord says that the nature of our words will release the blessing. The idea that just because you're saved, you're automatically blessed is not scriptural. If you step out of the biblical instruction on the journey of the blessed, and you figure, I'm not going to guard what I say. I'm going to allow myself to be reckless. You can limit what God wants to do in your life. And we end up, see, sometimes wasting so much mental energy that's been meant to give to the Lord. Like, what should I say to this person? What should I say? I meet people all the time that says, oh, I wish I was quicker on my feet. 
I wish I could just zing it back like they, and then we went so much, oh man, if, an hour later, if I had just said that, if I had just thought to say that, you better get on your knees and thank God that you're not quick on your feet because you probably saved yourself from a lot of judgment being poured out in this world. You don't want to be quick on your feet, tit for tat for, you know, zinging people back. That's not what we want. It's not Jesus. So Jesus, it says, he suffered, but he didn't threaten. And he entrusts himself to God who judges righteously. You know, it's amazing here because it says he didn't threaten anyone. He could have been threatening everybody. But he didn't use his power position to go after the people when he was suffering. And I want to say that as well. Like right now, somebody in the home, your home, might have a power position. If you have the power position in your home, if you're the one that's maybe emotionally stronger or whatever it might be, the Lord would just ask you this. How do you use that inside your home? Do you use it for good or do you use it for evil? There might be a power structure. You might be a boss. Do you use the strength of the opportunity and the opportunity to withhold money, blessing with an employee merely because your power position gives you that opportunity? The Lord would ask us, what do we use the power structures for? What about the power structure we have over our children? Just the dynamic of being the older one and they're an innocent little child. Do we operate inside the home with a, a threatening spirit or do we operate with a blessing spirit? It says that when Jesus suffered, he didn't threatened. He told his disciples, I could call 10,000 angels right now. But he wasn't going around to his enemies and saying that. He wanted his disciples to know, like we sang about today, we can have great authority in God, but how do we use the authority? It's so easy to carry some kind of leverage and power against others. We can resort to all kinds of threats. Some people resort to physical threats, some emotional threats, some legal threats, some financial threats. Speaking of retaliation, Jesus, the creator, the ruler, the king, listen to him, our example when he suffered. The chief priests and the entire council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward but later on, two came forward and said, this man stated, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, do you offer no answer for what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. A couple verses later, it says, and they spit in his face and beat him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Messiah. Who is the one who hit you? What did Jesus walk in? He was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. And please listen to this as I read it. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. And his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet, listen to this, this is a big yet. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. It says concerning Jesus that while at the peak of the verbal abuse and lies against him, he was like a sheep before its shears is dumb. He didn't open up his mouth. They ended up that in his death he died like a thief. Yet... That word yet changes the meaning of everything for us in our theology of suffering. The Lord says if you will walk through suffering in a biblical way when men and women rise up against you, that it will never just be suffering for suffering's sake, but because Christ kept his mouth shut, didn't retaliate, it says God stuck him in a rich man's tomb. 
yet because he did it well. I want us to understand the end result of suffering is not suffering for suffering's sake. It is so that God can release favor upon our lives. And when Jesus had suffered and he died and he was faithful to God, God says, okay, it's all over now. It's all done with. I'm not going to be having him thrown on some heap with robbers that have been crucified. No. Once he passed the test, Favor was released. God said, make sure that he's buried in a rich man's tomb. Make sure that from here on out, he's walking in a path of favor and of honor. And so when it says to us, you know, that Jesus, it says by his suffering, he entrusted to himself to the God who will judge right. Jesus knew that in that moment, they had the upper hand. They used the power structure. They lied about him and deceived him. But yet, because he passed the death, the, the, the test, that when he laid down his life, from that moment on, it was nothing but favor, 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 favor. The favor of a rich man's tomb, the favor of being able to go down to hell and to preach to the devil, you have no rights on me. The favor of being risen from the dead, the favor of ascending to the right hand of God, the favor of being seated at the right hand of God. Jesus knew that God would judge this situation correctly and he wasn't going to remove himself from the release of the Father's favor by giving in to insult for insult, rejection for rejection, none of those things. He entrusted himself to God. When Jesus suffered, it says in the book of Philippians that when he emptied himself and he was crucified, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God exalted him. I believe that today somebody's here sitting in this room and they have been nothing but antagonized and uh, alienated and harmed by some destructive thing that happened to them in the past. And I want you to know today that God wants you to get you, get you out of the cycle of being a victim. And he wants you to bring you into a place of victory. He wants to exalt you. But in order for him to be able to exalt you, you must be humbled by the cross the rejection, the suffering, laying down what we deserve. I deserved better. But Jesus knew that God judges righteously. And a little bit later in the passage about him being accused in Matthew chapter 26, the high priest said to him, Jesus, I place you under oath by the living God to tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now Jesus opens up his mouth and he says this, You've said it yourself. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of glory. Yes. What did Jesus say there? He, even in that moment, he didn't say, do you know, know that I am the Son of God? He waited until they asked him, are you the Son of God? And he said, you said it. And then he said this. This is, this is where his confidence came from. Because at that point, the high priest took and he ripped his garment. Like, oh, that's blasphemy. You're not, you're nothing. You're nothing to us. And they ripped his garments. But what did Jesus say? From now on, you're going to see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. Jesus saw, if I pass this test, the favor of God is going to be released on my life. The Lord wants to do that for you and he wants to do it for me. So in verse 24, the passage that we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, and by his wounds you were healed. It says this. Why do we make Jesus our example? Because when he suffered, it says he went to the cross because suffering was the way to die to sin. Now, he was a sinless one. He wasn't dying to his sins, but he was dying for our sins. It's saying, here's the picture you and I have. If you suffer well, it will result in the death of sin inside you. How it works inside of you. It wasn't going to die until you suffered. It wasn't going to die until you realized, I can't do this on my own. 
And it says that when he suffered, he went to the cross, the suffering, took him to the cross, and he died to sin, and then he lived for righteousness. So what does it tell you? When we follow in the suffering of Christ, it gets sin out of our lives, and it puts us on a path of righteousness, and we end up being like Jesus. And suffering is the best opportunity for that to happen. And then he says this, you're following on Jesus' path. Death to sin, alive to righteousness, and then the healing comes. God has a healing for you, and I don't know what you've suffered, but I'm telling you this. Determine that you're going to do it like Jesus did it. And the Lord says, at the end, at the end of the death to sin and the life to righteousness will be the release of the healing power of God in your life. Next time you find yourself on that merry-go-round, going around one more time, the Lord would say to you, I want you to know I have healing for you. Walk through it this time like I walked through my suffering. And then here's the final verse. He says, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Do you know what suffering does? It gets the straying out of our heart. The Apostle Peter said, until you suffered, you were straying around like sheep. But now you hold on to Jesus like he's the very guardian of your soul. You have learned you cannot have a healthy soul without Jesus. You can't have healthy mindsets. You can't have healthy attitudes. You can't have a healthy why when you ask God why. And you're saying to yourself, you know, how do I get to health? And God would invite you today to come in the middle of the suffering and learn that Jesus is the very guardian and the protector of your soul. And if you will trust him, that no matter what injustice is coming against you, that you don't have to resort to the way humans respond to trouble, but you respond to it in a godly way. The, the healing you've always longed for, the Lord wants you to know it's there for you. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, it's good for me that I was afflicted because then I learned your statutes. Man, our suffering reminds us that this world is not our home. Go to Lowe's all you want. It's only going to get so pretty, man. It's just not going to... You can dress it up, but it's putting a gold ring in a snout's nose, right? I mean a pig snout. A golden, a golden ring in a pig snout. Dress up this life all you want. Get the approval of men. Get the favor of the Lord. Make it matter. Oh, who said what to me? You want that? You want that life of who, who thinks what about you? No, man, lay it down. Just care about what Jesus thinks about you. He loves you. Can you say amen? amen. Let's all stand up this, this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for Jesus. The Apostle Paul did say, with great tribulations, we enter into the kingdom of heaven. The trial of our faith, Peter said, is more precious than gold. I thank you, Lord God, that your purpose for every man and woman that's here in this room, every child in this room, is that they would experience the favor of God. And you know the path of blessing. You know what sin needs to go. You know what righteousness needs to happen. You know, Lord. And I pray that we would humble ourselves and learn. Help us to learn, Lord God. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask before I close, maybe there's someone here and you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I can't get you to heaven. I can't change your life. No one in this room can do it. Coming and walking in this building will not make you a, a Christian. There's only one thing, man. You've got to come to Jesus. Jesus loved you in a way that no one else has loved you. Jesus loved you so much he died for you. And it was years ago that I came and understood, I need to repent of being on a path that has rejected Jesus. I need to repent and admit that I've sinned against God. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. The accumulation of shame and of guilt, of regret, 
the accumulation of unforgiveness or bitterness, the accumulation of stuff in order to fill the void, all of that just results in emptiness. And God would invite you today to come and meet Jesus Christ today. He will satisfy you like nothing else. He'll be the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. Listen, this is a really rough world. You trust your soul to the people, you'll get eaten alive. You trust your soul to this world's wealth, it'll let you down. You can trust your soul to Jesus today. If you say to me, Pastor Jim, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior today. I'm going to ask you to do two things. It's not a formula. I just want to lead you to Jesus. If you lift up your hand just saying, today, I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. You lift up your hand just saying, Pastor Jim, I want to be included in that closing prayer. I want to know that I'm right with God. I want to know that if I were to die today, that I'm on the path to heaven. And then if you raise your hand, it's only fair for me to let you know, I'm going to invite you to come here and stand in the front. You don't have to do anything or say anything. You don't have to look at the people. But Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before God and his angels. Do you need Jesus today? Would you lift up your hand in this moment? You'll feel a tug on your heart. There'll be something drawing you to the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit. You're just saying, I'm, I know I'm being drawn. And I, or you might even just be saying, I know I need something. And I'm willing to give my life to Jesus Christ today. I'll just take another, a few more moments. If you need Jesus today, would you please lift up your hand? just saying I want to be included in a prayer giving my heart to him God you are so good I bless the people that are here today I bless them with the joy of the Lord the peace of God let them be the salt of the earth and the light of the world I bless the roof over their head the substance of their lives I bless the people and even the animals and plants that are in their care let everything in their stewardship be blessed oh God Father I pray that you would increase faith and that you would cause us to be more like Jesus. And I ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. There are going to be elders here in the front. If you need prayer for anything today, it doesn't even matter if it's relevant to the sermon. Whatever your need is, come on up here. We want to pray with you and believe for the miracle that you need. God bless you all. Thank you for coming today. And uh, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website or your favorite podcast platform. Just look for Sermon of the Week, Cornerstone Christian Center. If you would like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.